So that's some good news this morning, and uh, we are very excited to know that Pastor Robert and Carolyn Norcross will be coming to help us and lead us along at this time of transition. Um, So we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to just uh, help them and help us, and and, uh, also we're going to continue to pray for Gabby and her family. So let's just pause for a moment and pray. So God, we just thank you. Thank you that you love us, you love this church, God, and you care about everything that takes place. So, Lord, I just pray that you would um, just help us as as Pastor Robert and, and Carolyn Norcross come to welcome them with open arms, God. I pray that not only will they be a blessing to us, but that we will be a blessing to them, Lord, and that they will be blessed by being a part of this church for the time that they will be here, God. So, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for Pastor Jason, who's been so good and so helpful during this time, God. He's just been such a support to, to myself, the staff, the board, and I pray that you would continue to strengthen him and the role that you've placed him in. And God, I thank you for how you're helping all of us in, in our grief. And God, I particularly ask for Gabby again today that you would just continue to help her, Lord, that you would strengthen her. God, I can't even imagine all that she is going through and experiencing. So God, we lift her up to you and ask that you would comfort her, help her, strengthen her, God. Be with her family and all of those, God, that are close, that were close to him. God, I pray that you would just help them as well. And God, we, we, we give this day, the remainder of this day, into your hands and just ask that you would be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, again, good morning, and uh, whether you're joining us online or you're here in person, we're so glad you chose to be with us today. Joining us was a choice. You didn't have to join us, but you chose to. Now, some choices are more difficult than others. It's like there was this husband and wife who prior to marriage decided that he'd make all the major decisions and she'd make all the minor ones. Well, after 20 years of marriage, he was asked how this arrangement worked. And he said, oh, this is great. In all the years, I've never had to make a major decision. (laughs) Some people like to be the person who gets to choose. Others don't. Well, whether you like it or not, we all have to make choices every single day. So I'm going to ask if you would indulge me for a minute this morning as we play a little game. I want you to tell me what you would choose out of some different options. If you're online, just write it in the chat. And if you're here in person, don't be afraid. Just shout it out loud, okay? If you had to choose between white chocolate or milk chocolate, what would you choose? Me, I'm a white chocolate kind of girl. Okay, if you could drive a car or a truck, what would you choose? Oh, mostly car people here. (laughs) How about sweet or salty? Oh, a mixture. I think I'm more of the sweet person, but yeah, I think we're all divided on that one. City or country? If you could choose, I know we all pretty much live in the city, but if you had your choice, city or country? Country. (laughs) Real country guy over there, Pastor Orlando. (laughs) Chicken or steak? (laughs) Mostly chicken. I'm chicken. (laughs) McDonald's or Wendy's? 
Wendy's. I think Wendy's. A real Christmas tree or an artificial Christmas tree? Yeah, our family is artificial too. Makes so much less mess. Uh, How about attend church on a Sunday morning or stay home in bed? You're here, so you chose right. You chose to attend church this morning. Whether that's online or in person, you're attending, so we're really thankful for that. Well, this morning, you're going to be asked to make some choices as we conclude Jesus' most famous Sermon on the Mount and our Astonishing Words series. When we begin, we said that the sermon includes some of the most memorable words ever spoken out of the mouth of Jesus. It includes the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer, the Golden Rule, and so so much more. It's important stuff, and it's stuff that most of us are familiar with. Well, Matthew, at the end of Jesus' sermon, gives us a postscript in verses 28 and 29. He says, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. We, we had said that astonishing is a Greek word, and it means to be struck with panic. It means to be shocked out of your senses. They were totally amazed by what he said. His teaching blew their minds. Uh, No one had ever spoken like this before. No one had ever spoken with this much authority. Now, I want to ask you this morning, as you've been going through the Sermon on the Mount with us for the past three weeks, have you heard what Jesus said? Has it been astonishing to you? Have you been astonished by it? Has it impacted your life? Has your life been changed by what Jesus said? If you've not been astonished, then I have to wonder, maybe you haven't taken it to heart. We've now come to the end, and Jesus concludes his sermon by seeking a response. He calls us to make a choice. In fact, he gives us three choices. What road will you take? What voices will you listen to? And what foundation will you build your life on? It's decision time. Or as one writer put it, it's make up your mind time on the mountain. The first choice we must make is what road will you take? Let's begin by reading Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be reading different passages as we go along. So again, Matthew seven thirteen to 14. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, as I studied this passage, I was reminded of a famous poem by Robert Frost in which he wrote, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that made all the difference. Now, although Robert Frost wasn't talking of one's eternal destiny, he does highlight well the notion that the choice one makes about which road to follow can make all the difference in one's life. And this is the point that Jesus is making as well. Jesus in this passage lays before us two possible paths. He says one is broad and one is narrow. And the one you choose to take will make all the difference. One path leads to destruction. The other path leads to life. 
And as Jesus calls us to choose one of these pathways, he gives us some characteristics of each so that we can have an informed and a wise decision. The first is the broad road. The Greek word for broad in this passage means spacious and roomy. This road is easy to follow. It's a road paved with tolerance and permissiveness. Because there are no boundaries, you can do whatever you like. You can live a life without having to keep the standards that Jesus has just set in the Sermon on the Mount. You can be proud and dishonest and angry. You can hate your enemy and be full of lust. You need not forgive and you never need to pray or give. You can abuse your body with drugs and alcohol. You can hold on to all your money and you can be ambitious for yourself. If someone does you wrong, you can retaliate as much as you like. You can criticize and judge others to your heart's content. It takes little effort to walk on this path. The broad path is also popular. This pathway, it's inclusive, as it includes the various views, religions, and lifestyles of the world. It is a pathway of self-achievement and works. It's easy, and there's nothing that pushes us off. But the problem with this road, of course, is that when there's no boundaries, people get hurt. The broad road is a path that leads to destruction. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. The other road is the narrow road. This word means restricted, confined, compressed. In other words, there isn't much room on this path. It's a path that doesn't allow for lots of stuff or a multitude of opinions as to what's right or wrong. It doesn't support morals and beliefs that differ from God's word. Its boundaries are clearly marked out by God's word. Unlike the broad road, the narrow pathway is hard to find. Look again at verse 14. It says, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Well, I think for some it might be easier than others because some are raised in Christian homes and are exposed to the gospel from a young age. Others live in places, though, where the gospel is not spoken and there is no gospel witness creation witnesses to them of God's existence and glory but they might not lack any opportunity to hear biblical truth others are exposed because Christians live in their society but they've either rejected it or not considered it whatever a person's situation the narrow road is not so easy to find and only a few find it and even less accept it The narrow pathway is also unpopular. See, there's no room for other truths or other ways because Jesus is the only truth and the only way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But it's the narrow path, you see, that leads to the Father and to eternity in heaven. In life, People typically take the path of least resistance. Therefore, people are naturally inclined to follow the broad road of the world. To find and follow the narrow path, you must turn away from the crowd, sometimes even leaving friends and family to do it. Sometimes it's a lonely path, though those who follow it are never alone because Jesus is with them. 
The narrow pathway is also difficult. It's difficult for a number of reasons. To go down the narrow path, you must be willing to leave some things behind. Now, on this road, humility is the order of the day. It's a road of purity, integrity, and honesty, and forgiveness. It's a road that requires you to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, on this path, you will always battle sin. We'll fight against ungodly attitudes and actions, but this fight against sin is not only to conquer our own sin, but to help others conquer their sin as well. Remember in Matthew 7, 1 to 6, where Jesus calls for his disciples to help others to take the speck out of their eyes? Now, this is not easy, and it's not a popular thing to do. Life is more difficult, yes, on the narrow road. Also, because we can expect that people will falsely accuse you and say all manner of evil against you because of Jesus. And in the last beatitude, Jesus said the kingdom's citizens will be persecuted because of righteousness. They will be persecuted because of their moral beliefs. You see, those on the broad path hate any restrictions that hinder their comfort. To teach that doing certain things is a sin will cause some people to dislike you, but also simply because one chooses not to participate in what the world considers acceptable, many are going to be mocked. It's a difficult pathway. Paul said that all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The broad road is easy. The narrow way is difficult. This is the road, though, that Jesus took, the road that led to the cross, and it's the road that Jesus is asking us to take as well. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. See, this is difficult, this pathway that leads to life, though. In fact, to enter it, you will experience new life. In John 17, 3, Jesus said, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, although followers of Jesus might be disliked and mocked by the world, they have a greater quality of life because of our relationship with God. There can be peace in the midst of the storm and joy in the midst of hardship. And while it isn't easy, we do not walk alone. Jesus tells us to walk it, and when we do, he'll meet us and he'll help us along the way. He said, I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. In fact, as we walk with Jesus, we find this difficult path a little more easy to follow because Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and my load is not hard to carry. See, ultimately, those who follow the narrow path will find eternal life. There are two roads, one leading to destruction, the other leading to life. One is readily found, the other must be searched for. One is popular, the other unpopular. One is easy, the other difficult. Which path will you take? You must choose. The second question that we're faced with is what voices will you listen to? Let's continue on in Matthew 7 to read verses 15 to 23. It says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. 
By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, Jesus, he gives us a serious warning here. He says, beware of false prophets. Beware of false teachers. See, there are those who come to you in sheep's clothing, but they are ferocious wolves. Now, the wolf is the natural enemy of sheep, so we really need to be careful. That same description that Jesus uses is used elsewhere in the Bible to describe officials and rulers and false teachers, people who are enemies of God and his people. It's a very serious matter to harm God's people. Jesus warns us that such people will be like trees who are cut down and thrown into the fire. And on the day of judgment, he will say to them, away from me, you evildoers. Now, in this world of social media, you YouTube and online streaming, there are so many voices out there that we can listen to. Some may be appealing, but we need to be careful because some are false teachers. So how do we spot the false teachers? How can we know what's the right church? How can we know who's a true teacher? How can we know who to listen to? You know, practically every Christian leader has at some point been accused of being a false prophet. So how do you know they're not? How do you know that I'm not? Well, listen to what Jesus says. First in verse 16, and he repeats it in verse 20. Jesus says that you will recognize them by their fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. It's easy to get misled, and something can look real, and, and you can think that it's good and that it's the right thing, but it might not be. I read that in the Middle East, there's a thorn bush, which from a distance looks much like a vine. It has these little black berries, and which closely resemble grapes. There's also a thistle that produces a flower, which can be mistaken for a fig, but on closer inspection, Inspection, it's revealed that the thorn bush does not produce grapes and the thistle cannot produce edible fruit. Where a tree is good, it will produce good fruit. The fruit is important, and we need to be good inspectors of the fruit. See, fruit is the first component to watching out for false teachers. So what kind of fruit should we be looking for? Well, first, we need to examine the fruit of their character. Paul talks about the image of fruit in his classic description of the Christian character in Galatians 5, 22-23, where he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those are the characteristics that we should expect to see in a person who's growing and who is a true Christian and who has the Holy Spirit living within. Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount precisely with the issue of character. 
A true follower of Jesus will begin to develop the kind of character described in the Beatitudes. There should be humility, a thirst for righteousness, a merciful attitude, meekness, and purity. And of course, we will never find perfection because all leaders are human beings and have weaknesses and are subject to temptations just like the rest of us. But we need to ask ourselves whether there are fundamental flaws in their character. We need to be good fruit inspectors. We also need to examine the fruit of their teaching. What we teach is very important, and it has an impact on people's lives. Later in Matthew, Jesus uses a similar image of fruitfulness in relation to what people say. In Matthew 12, 33 to 37, he says, Make a good tree... Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Wow, such strong words. One of the Old Testament tests of a true prophet we find in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. It tells us there that if a prophet performs signs and wonders, if he, but yet he said to the people to follow other gods, the people were warned not to listen to the words of that prophet. In other words, the people were to test the prophet by his teaching, whether he led people towards God or away from him. We also need to weigh the words of anyone who claims to speak on God's behalf against what we know to be the word of God. Curly Matriscate Anna used a helpful analogy in her book called Gods of the New Age. This is what she wrote. I'd just like to read you a passage from that book. She said, Mom's been working at the bank for over a year, my dear friend Chris told me, and she's getting the most amazing education. What do you mean? I mean, she's really learning about money. They're asking her to know the color of each bill, the size of it, even the way it's watermarked. They're showing her the details of the inks and the papers. How do they teach her? Well, they just keep having her handle it. They point out all the various things they want her to remember. But they figure the more she works with money, feels it, stacks it, the more familiar it will be to her. That makes sense, I suppose, but what's the point? Well, here's the point. Yesterday, they blindfolded her. They slipped a couple of counterfeit bills in her stack of money. She picked them out by touch. So she's studying counterfeit money too then? No, that's just it. The people at the bank know that a person doesn't need to study the counterfeits. The bank knows the counterfeits are getting better and better and more sophisticated. And it's been proven a thousand times over that if a bank teller knows the real money extremely well, they can't be uh, fooled by the counterfeits. So what's the point she's making here? Well, it is that we don't need to spend time studying counterfeits and heresies and false prophets. In order to know the truth, we need to soak ourselves in the truth. We need to know the Bible for ourselves so well that we can spot the lies. So... Let's watch out for false teachers. Let's make sure that we consider what they're saying and if it lines up with God's word. But we also should, um, we should 
Also listen to true teachers, those whose uh, lives reveal a good character and their teaching is according to God's word. But we need to choose which voices will you listen to. The third question we're faced with is what foundation will you build on? I've watched enough renovation shows on HGTV to know that your foundation is really important. So let's read Matthew seven twenty four to 27. It says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, Jesus concludes his great sermon by contrasting wise and foolish builders. Generally, you remember that kid's action song, The Wise Man Built His House Upon the Rock? Remember that when the rains came down and the floods came up, but the house on the rock stood firm? But the foolish man built his house on the sand, and the rains came down and the floods came up, and the house on the sand fell flat? (laughs) I love that song. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessings will come down. Uh, Once a kid's pastor, I guess, always a kid's pastor. (laughs) Um, In this story, Jesus told both told us that both men built a house, both experienced a storm, and both men listened to what Jesus had taught. But one man's house stood, and the other man's house fell. So what was the difference? Think about it. Who is the wise person in this illustration? Look at verse 24 again. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, who is the foolish person? Look at verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So what's the difference between these two individuals? Both of them heard Jesus' words. Both of them listened to his sermon. The difference was one person did what Jesus said and the other one did not. Jesus says it's foolish to hear what he's saying and still build your life on anything other than his will and his authority. It matters how we live our lives. It matters what teachers we listen to. This is our spiritual lives that's at stake. The words Jesus spoke are astonishing and they're authoritative. But now it passes to us. We've heard the true teaching of the true teacher. We must choose. Will we obey his authoritative teaching and live as the wise man? Or will we continue to live our our ways um, the way we want to and be wrecked when the storms come? Someone once said, it may be true that there are two sides to every question, but it's also true that there are two sides to a sheet of fly paper, and it makes a big difference to the fly which side he chooses. So you must choose which foundation will you build your life on. 
Now, if you're here this morning or you're listening online and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this call to enter through the narrow gate and to follow Jesus. We enter that gate by faith in Jesus alone. It is a gift of grace, and we don't earn it. In fact, we can't earn it. We don't pass through the gate by living a righteous life, for we can never be righteous enough. It's simply a gift of grace that we receive by faith. Jesus came and he laid down his life on the cross to pay for our sin. Every sin of commission, every sin of omission that we ever will ever commit was laid on Jesus when he died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin so that we can be offered this gift of grace where our sins can be forgiven and the righteousness of Jesus can become ours. We receive it by coming to God in repentance and faith. We turn from our life of living the way we want to on the broad road and we accept uh, Jesus' narrow road and we follow Christ. We accept that his death is the basis of our forgiveness. And when we do this, the Bible says that we will be born again spiritually. We're born into the kingdom of God. Nothing in all of life is of greater significance than that choice of whether you will follow Jesus or not. But it's up to you. You must choose. And if you struggle to make that choice because it just seems too costly or too hard, I would say to you that it is costly and it is hard, but here's the deal. You need to look at it from the vantage point of the destination. In the end, when you arrive at that final destination, I can guarantee you that you will look back at the cost and any difficulty that you, and you will say the cost was well worth it. I also want to add that this same Jesus, the one who is calling us to this radical life of discipleship, is the one who says, and I read it just previously, come to me, all you who are weary and every burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior and commit to walking this narrow road, you can simply pray and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and confess that you believe in him. If you make that decision, please let me know. Let us know so that we can rejoice and journey with you and help you along your way. But for those of us who are here, and I think it's most of us that have already made that decision to follow Jesus, I want to challenge you as well. This sermon, Jesus, he taught it to his disciples, those who already knew him. He was challenging them and us to follow his example to live our lives in total dependence on God. So I'm going to ask you to do something this morning if you feel comfortable doing it. Um, I'm going to ask you in just a moment as the worship team comes and and they're going to um, lead us in worship. If you would join me at the front just to say, I'm choosing once again, this is just me saying, I've, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to build my foundation upon you, on your teaching, upon your love. And uh, just spend a couple of moments just worshiping God and just recommitting our lives to him this morning and saying, yes, God, I want to choose you today. And then I'm going to come back at the end and I'll just close in prayer.